is the Aquasensory Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Wilson. In this show, you will learn all about sensory harmony in water for babies and the early years. Because when we grow to love, connect and respect water, learning follows naturally. So today I am so excited to talk about all things sensory child development, but from an OT's perspective. We're so lucky today. We've got Jess Kennedy from OT and me. Welcome, Jess. Thanks a million for having me, Jill. Very excited. Yeah, so we've connected before and supported each other, but I'm really excited to not only talk about your professional expertise in all things sensory, but you've also been a new mum recently as well. Yeah, so um, my smallie Finn is now six months and yeah, it's been amazing kind of, I suppose, becoming a mom and I already think it's made me so much of a better OT. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been, I think from a child development perspective, especially when you're working in this, there was obviously a lot of anxiety as well around it and like nearly sometimes too much information you can know, but uh it's been just lovely to watch him play and develop and be a part of that. And like they really do come with their own little personalities and you're there kind of guiding them through it, aren't you? <laughs> definitely, definitely. And when did you set up OT in me? Because it is about providing amazing resources for teachers and assistants, um, all about uh, sensory integration. And, you know, it's so important to be sensory aware. Yeah. And so... I suppose my route as an occupational therapist has been a little bit different to the traditional route. When I graduated um, from UCC here in uh, Ireland, I actually went to Australia and I worked in private clinics and preschools over there. So started to kind of see, I suppose, that intervention, that real heavy on intervention um, rather than assessment and that piece around kind of supporting families, parent coaching. Um, the OT role was very defined in Australia, whereas it was really just starting to emerge, I felt, in Ireland and the understanding around it. So when I moved back, I actually started working in the private system again um, because I felt like the public rules were a little bit restrictive in terms of the age groups I would be working with and the cohorts of children. And I just loved working right from babies up to, you know, young adults. And so really lucky to, you know, work in a private clinic and then move to my OT and me, which was in 2018. Wow. So I've been doing that for a few years and it started off initially of just doing home-based intervention sessions for families, particularly parents who had more than one or a divergent child or a child with additional needs who I felt the travel aspect to a clinic wasn't very um, functional either for them or doable. So that just grew a love then for working in the home, working with the whole family, really using a family-centered method continue that and then I morphed into a lot of kind of online stuff and I suppose it was before COVID I had Octobox which is a motor skills based program um, that was delivered through telehealth for families wow. uh, that then moved on to parent coaching through telehealth and I've really continued on that path so there's still a lot of teenagers and young adults that have a preference for video consultations with me and parents as well because ultimately with OT for anyone who doesn't understand what we do it's it's 
everyday living it's what makes up a person's well-being it's helping them to be independent and to understand their own needs so whether that's their sensory or emotional needs so that it can support their ability to cope every day and that could be from dressing in the morning to eating a diversity in their diet it could be um concentrating and being attentive in school it could morph into any aspect of everyday living and so we actually work with children but some therapists work with adults and it's very diverse so in my role it's been very much pediatric space so looking at a lot of things like sensory and emotions play school-based skills handwriting dressing any kind of sensory motor based fine motor gross motor skills so it's really diverse and we even work on toileting and feeding and all these areas so what I was realizing is if the parents didn't know the information and understand it and be able to embody it and naturally embed it into their routine, I wasn't seeing that change in family life, in the child's development. And so that's really developed my love of parent coaching and supporting parents to be really empowered. They are the expert on their child. And now I can share my expertise, my knowledge, so they can really understand it and apply it um, within their capacity. Because every parent has a different capacity, you know, of how much they can change, what they can take on, how much, you know, external support they have. And that's where OT comes in. It's that beauty of differentiating based on the family you're working with. Um, and so, yeah, I do a lot of online with that. And I also have Gabadoo now, which is my my new company. Um, and I actually have that with my husband, Sean. And Gabadoo is a way that we are kind of breaking down some of the barriers to accessing these professionals. And so school staff and families can access consultations with our team of OTs and SLTs. So uh, we can basically collaborate. So it's that collaborative process of chatting, coming up, being solution focused, being strengths-based, understanding neurodivergence. And, you know, I suppose just changing that whole um, dialogue around how that interdisciplinary teams can work and what that looks like when, you know, there's long waiting lists, people are falling back on, looking for, I suppose, the traditional face-to-face -face intervention blocks that, you know, sometimes are no longer available and may also not be the best practice for certain families, you know, because at the end of the day, it's important that it's the parent and the child has that relationship and they understand how to develop those skills rather than the therapist having that with the child only. Wow, that's amazing. You sound so busy and, and so, yeah, fulfilled with it all. And I love where you were mentioning about early intervention as well, because that's one of our, our ethos as well. Signposting um, definitely to experts like yourself. And I love the way that you say that an investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. So for our listeners who um, are just finding out all about all things sensory, why is it important to be sensory aware? And how would you explain to a, a parent or a swim teacher what it means like sensory integration? Like, I think it's important actually for everyone to be sensory aware, even if you're not working directly with people in general or you know children in particular because it is highly impactful on your emotional regulation on how you know how you relax what triggers you you know how to manage your own stress and so I think the word sensory integration or sensory processing almost became kind of theoretical it was like as if you needed yeah. to be you know this in-depth practitioner to understand and absolutely need to do 
further study, even as an OT or a swim instructor into courses or additional to understand how to maybe notice dysfunction or differences or how to adapt things. But for the most part, it's important for everyone to understand sensory processing, sensory integration is basically how your sensory systems take in stimuli, how they interpret them, process them, how we adapt our bodies, how we use that information to be able to self-regulate. So to be able to manage our attention and our emotions well enough to be able to deal with frustration or to solve problems um, or to be able to kind of engage with others. And so we all have these eight known sensory systems. It isn't that only children who have sensory differences or preferences, maybe they seek out certain types of sensory input more intensely or for longer durations, but we all have a level of preferences and differences. It's why some of us love going on, you know, uh, high intensity rides at, you know, a carnival and how others would feel dizzy even in the car. It's how some people love a woolly jumper and other people would live in cottons or people are picky eaters or get headaches when there's bright lights in places. So we have made adaptions based on what we've learned about ourselves, And those adaptions make it easier for us to cope in different environments. But for some children and people, there can be a mismatch between their sensory preferences and needs and the environment that they're in. And that can cause a dysregulation. It can cause a sensory overload. It can cause meltdowns. And so it's in those situations you need, you know, a trusted adult, someone who understands that child to step in to co-regulate and um, to meet that person's needs in terms of a nervous system need. And whether that's to control the environment in a certain way, it's to make adaptions, it's to co-regulate through their physical presence, their tone of voice, how they use their body, um, or even helping that child or person to access supports that they know would be helpful for that child and that could be water which is um a massive regulator and it's something that i probably recommend daily on gabadoo whether it's swimming for an older child and um, whether it's baby swim for a younger child but if i know that water is a regulator oftentimes it's a really nice one to use not only as kind of a structured activity outside of the home but in the home as bath time water play you know in the sink any kind of water play out the back so i think it's really nice for people who are working with children to have an understanding um, so that not only can they notice those differences, but they know how to differentiate to really kind of, I suppose, create those inclusive environments rather than feeling helpless and even maybe fueling the situation, which unfortunately can happen. So if, if one person's nervous system gets chaotic and they're supposed to be co-regulating with the child if they get anxious and stressed that can cause the same kind of mirroring chaos in you know in the child or the person that you're trying to co-regulate so you really want to be that anchor of calm you want to be self-regulated in yourself to be able to be co-regulate co with those children or with those families and so um you do actually have to understand your own sensory needs <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. you know you need to understand I suppose some of that trickier stuff around introspection around your internal sensations and that's part of sensory as well is that if my stomach is empty I know how to read those cues that I need to eat but I also know if I'm angry I could be hungry <laughs> or I know if I've got a headache I could be tired or I could be stressed rather than it being sickness and you know a lot of adults I would actually say are quite poor at maybe interpreting those sensations reading them and responding to them and that can cause stress as well not only in parents but you know in adults and so it's important for everyone really I guess wow there was just so much goodness there I loved it and just relating that to the pool what you said it's so true because the pool environment is naturally 
multi-sensory, we sometimes underestimate the, the sensory overload. So it could be, as you say, something as simple as uh, dimming the lights or setting up a quiet corner. Um, I often say to my parents that, you know, it's OK for your child to borrow your nervous system and we breathe and we slow down together. Um, so, yeah, because as you say, some children love it and are reacting and are seeking and splashing and kicking and need more and more and more. And others are you know, a little bit more cautious, defensive and retract. And, and that's OK, too. So, as you say, you know, and it can happen all together in the same class, depending on the activity in the child. It's not always like black and white at all. And I think in those situations, it's happened to me a lot as well. Parents will say we had a disaster. You know, we, we went to the pool and they just were so avoidant of the water. We had a meltdown leaving, you know, or they they wouldn't come out of the pool for us and they had a meltdown or oh, I don't know if we can face it again. But really, I suppose in those situations, it's also helping the parents see the bigger picture. And so what actually has happened in certain situations, I could have a consult with a parent, you know, through Gabadoon. They're like, yeah, they it was great. We got there, but we couldn't get out. And it can be that the pool time was too short. Like it was 15 minute slots, you know. And so by the time their autistic child had got into the routine and settled their nervous system, suddenly they were, trying, you know, transitioning out again. And so it might actually have been the pool it could have been the structure around that and so it's really important not only for swim instructors but for parents to not always jump in to solve but maybe take a step back and pause and actually observe the situation and think is this something caused in this moment a trigger could it be environmental is it the setup of this or could it be something totally different? Could this child be sick or have poor sleep last night or had a really stressful day in school? And so it's not the pool at all. It's just that they're dysregulated coming in. And that's really important because it's very easy to avoid going places or doing things. If you have a child who maybe is unpredictable sometimes in terms of their sensory overload. But like you said, lovely ideas for the instructor is you can co-regulate by being sensory informed. So if you've got a sensory informed space, it means that you've subtle little changes you can make. And so it could be dimming, could be turning on the lights, could be having a calm corner. It could be in your head going to that place. I'm going to have a child with a, having a meltdown. Where will they go? So it's actually being ahead of it, you know, preventative measures, saying to parents, if any of your children feel overwhelmed, we have a corner, giving them permission to use that, you know, so you're already preempting before something happens because it's hard to talk to a parent when they're stressed if their child is having meltdown oh why don't you go over here because really all they want to do in that situation is get out of there you know and mm -hmm. so it's better if in their head is oh I could bring them out there so as soon as they start to see it building they might say oh we're actually going to jump out of the pool and head over you know the swim instructor might say nobody even has to say anything just head on over there you know don't worry if you need to leave early or it's giving them permission because I think sometimes we forget that parents can feel awkward about it as well, you know, just leaving in the middle of a class or getting up and using some other space. But you can have a lovely co-regulating presence, not only on the kids, but on the parents. Mm -hmm. So if you can regulate the parents, they can regulate the children often. So if your co-regulating is calm, not really calling out if people are late or early, making people feel relaxed, you know, keeping your tone steady and calm, coming down to eye level when necessary but you know sometimes if we arrive late we fluster in and you know we're blown the whistle and then we're oh sorry and we're kind of scattered ourselves that can definitely I feel create a little bit of a chaos at times would you agree Joy? Yeah definitely and, and lots of that is really resonating with me because 
Um, what we like to do is we like to guide our parents on having tools and then um, they've always always got it in their parent kit. So anytime then, then they know. So uh, one of my favorites is what I call a water hug. So rather than, you know, uh, feeling that uh, I'm doing something different to all the other parents and children that I know that my child at this moment in time absolutely loves having that really, really nice uh, hug, a little bit more pressure. So it's always available. So what we do is we sort of guide and show the benefits and we all sort of try and practice and then see how our little ones respond. But then we know that at any point in time, then, you know, perhaps that's what uh, the little one really, you know, enjoys and responds. And I had a parent the other day, as you say, it, it did become a little bit too much. And, and I think sometimes we can think, oh, they don't like swimming. And as you say, that's a real shame if we come to a very quick judgment that they don't like something in life, um, because where does it end? You know, it can then filter to all sorts of things. And for our children, it's building up that resilience, isn't it? And I love your courses, how it's not just the physical, it's the emotional side as well that you're really guiding parents. And Joe, like what you said there, like cool regulation, when we talk about that, it's it's those kind of warm and responsive interactions that you have with a person really, because we actually don't really learn on until we're in our adult years, how to fully self-regulate, you know, you need co-regulation throughout that time. And so if you are a child with sensory diversity or neurodiversion, you're going to need more of that co-regulation. And so it's with any trusted adult, really you're with on a day-to-day basis because you're not always with a parent and it's, those react those warm and responsive reactions that you have that coach you through situations help you to understand and express your emotions it's not to pull you out of situations or to fully problem solve it is really those coaching moments and that starts off even as a baby like oh I can see that you're hungry and then you give them food and then they're like oh that really did help or I think you're tired and you put them down to sleep and then you know and that's the same as commenting if they're in the water oh your body this is hard for you let's go take a break that is co-regulation does that make sense or I can see that the water is hard for you let's play outside the water and let's watch everybody else play you know so you can differentiate in the moment and some parents find that really challenging because it is challenging and it is a skill and I'm saying it very easily there but we constantly do that as OTs how do you grade and adapt but for maybe the swim teachers to think about that rather than it being total avoidance it could be why don't you come the next day and I'll fill a basin of water and they can literally just splash the water on the side but you can stay earthside you know and yeah just kind of like play in the water let the child observe you observers like kids that are observers like to watch don't like the demand being placed on them they have to go in the pool but sometimes when you pull that back and you're like you can go in you don't have to go in we can play out here they might just go in themselves you know so it is also thinking about like this might be sensory this could be more behavioral for this child and that could be that you know maybe they strive for autonomy on a day-to-day basis maybe they're quite rigid or you know they have a certain plan in their head um and they need this time and so it's it's really trying to be flexible around that and obviously if that continues week in week out maybe it isn't their thing you know going into the pool but I think like you said you do want to coach in those moments what can we learn from this and like if you're teaching a parent who feels like their body 
really enjoyed that that bear hug with their baby or their child and then you can say you know you can do that as well at home like a bear hug it doesn't have to be in the water so you're relating it to a transferable skill which is really nice um and that will stay with that parent there's so many parents have said to me i did do a class and they did say pressure can help so we do bear hugs that simple little technique can actually make all the difference at home Mm, I love that I love that and how is your little one Finn at home in the bath we had many um experiences and splashy times together oh absolutely and like I, your book that you sent as well Joe just fab ideas like I absolutely loved it so like his name Finn he um absolutely loves the water such a lover of the water like he from the moment we put him into the bath, just wants to be kicking and splashing. So I definitely have a little bit of a seeker when it comes to the water. But what I noticed that I did need to adapt was the time of it. So I just thought this could be part of the wind down routine and, you know, we'll do it before bed. And like, it was just not working. Like he was finding it so hard to transition out of the bath because he was tired and because he loved playing in there. So it's more of a play based activity for him rather than it being like deregulating in downtime he's more of a cuddler and kind of just play um on the bed or you know just read a book kind of a baby and so I really had to learn that because now when I do it nearly like in the morning or the middle of the day absolutely loves it it's more of an alerting activity for him he likes to really work his muscles <laughs> kicking I need to get a bigger bath and um, kicking and splashing and I, you know I don't really have to do much we sing songs a lot we put on nursery rhymes I don't really use many toys in the bath yet with him because he likes just to move his body and how it feels. And I let him splash his, you know, face and just give him reassurance like, oh, that's water or, oh, it's on your eye. Or I might introduce something to rub it if needed. But for the most part, he can tolerate it. And I know that's different for every baby. And some babies really don't like the water or the bath. But um, yes, yeah, so far, so good. And we definitely use it um, as kind of a play-based alerting activity. Oh. Now it is getting colder now, so I definitely have to put on the heat and make sure the bathroom is nice and warm for him um, and that's something definitely I supposed to be conscious of we went on holidays and he was loving having his bath out in the balcony in the heat wow. <laughs> so when we came home he had an awful fright when we were back in the cold Ireland and he was uh, coping with that but yeah for the most part he loves his routine around it we do a little bit of baby massage after it and um, nice wow. tight yeah tight and wrapped up in his towel so Oh, that sounds beautiful. Well, just a few shared experiences that may be able to help you um, to transition from a small bath. So he's got a little bit more um, space is to be in the big bath. Uh, I always suggest, if possible, um, to be with you, first of all, um, and then you can be that base of support, which is really nice. So skin to skin and it's really great fun and, and you know, you can model, he can copy. But one of my other favourites as well is to have a shallow bath but to perhaps put a towel at the bottom and that again provides a little bit more support um, you can roll it up and then he can have a little bit more positioned under tummy time because we've got to obviously be um, conscious of uh, body position head support um, mouth um, or a back position so to create a little bit of a, a cushion and not to worry um, about having ears under the water in actual fact that's that's good you know so then he can twist and turn and move in so many um, different ways because from an OT perspective movement is key isn't it getting those vital gross motor moves um, which obviously lead on to the fine 
And Joe, any tips for like, we don't have a bath at the moment, like a big uh-huh. bath. So um, it's just like he's in a, quite a large, actually, like baby bath. But yeah, unfortunately, we don't have a bath where we're living wow. at the moment. So like, any top tip? Tip. yeah, top tip then shower. So you will be able to have you got a shower? Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. So you will be able to create the base of the shower um, as a small baby bath. Now, you can either do exactly the same by sort of almost like plugging up the the plug hole. And then probably it will then go into about four inches of water, which is absolutely fine. Or you can look online and buy something really simple, like a small paddling pool. um, And then that will sit in the the shower base. Um, And yeah, and absolutely perfect because yeah you know they'll be doing a little bit tummy time a little bit of back floating a little bit of sitting and supporting um and yeah obviously if you stand up in the shower as well um you know with you to get those little sprinkles Okay, love that. We'll definitely be doing that. <laughs> definitely. Um, so movement is so important for the brain, isn't it? And as we've just been talking about the bath, to try not to use too much interventions like those, just those seats, because that's that will just restrict. Um, but again, the water is so important to to add movement in. And I know on your courses you talk a lot about the motor movement gross before fine and really, really promoting uh, movement as a solid base of child development. And I think that's something that um, is sometimes overlooked as well. It's fine motor can be linked even I'm talking about even older kids, you know, kids going to preschool or primary school. It's the fine motor that sometimes can be flagged. Like, oh, they're not sitting at the table and they're not holding a pencil or, you know, they're not drawing or and it's then looking at, well, maybe they're using the skills that they have in this moment and so if they're finding it tricky it's looking at those bigger whole muscle groups like I say absolutely that you need that proximal stability you know in your inner core and your core and your trunk muscles to have that distal accuracy in your hands and you know babies and uh, toddlers are drawn to using their hands anyway and sometimes they want to skip a gross motor they want to stand before you know they can sit and I think it's offering them a variety of play positions is the main thing so absolutely children and babies kind of preferences to be on their back or to be on their tummy or even as kids get older to be in certain positions but it's trying to have that variety is still really important doing some activities on their tummy doing some on their back you know some on their side but making sure that they're getting that diversity in their gross motor movements and a lot of that comes from natural environments because you're using praxis skills to adapt in those moments so it's unfamiliar settings and motor actions like walking over a wooded area walking on the sand at the beach and in the water as well that's a different experience you're moving your body in a different way and particularly for children with hypermobility or children that have a diagnosis or praxis difficulties like dyspraxia or GCD we know that swimming is um, really helpful in those situations and we often recommend it a lot because you're using repetitive motor patterns but you're also able to work on that core muscles without it being land you know based or you know landing hard on your feet or on your joints um, 
And so you can really learn at your own pace as well. It's an individual exercise for most part. And I think sometimes a lot of kids will say, oh, I'm just not really into sports or I don't like it. And I say, well, exercise and sports are very different. And swimming is a great exercise. And, you know, we need exercise. Everyone needs that. And so I think it's a really nice, not only individual activity, but a family activity. And I know lots of families will say, oh, we all go swimming or we all do that together. And I think it gives them an opportunity to build some of those healthy physical well-being things yeah. into kind of the daily routine but absolutely gross motor in terms of core strength trunk control upper limb strength lower limb strength all very important um prior to anything kind of like handwriting or using the fingers in a dexterous way yeah and i think sometimes we underestimate our role in the pool um maybe we're just focusing on the benefits of swimming whereas you say that whole child development and well-being it's it's so important and of course safety it's a life life skill as well there's so much that we're giving our children because for me i always see it as like we're challenging the brain and body but we're actually supporting at the same time so it's really that just right support altogether which i absolutely love to see we talk about that a lot like that just right challenge of like a child is you know challenged because they're they're working their muscles they're working a new skill they're developing they're building blocks to achieving something but they're also feeling a level of success so if you know a skill is beyond their tolerance you'll often see a lot of those behaviors or avoidance because it's not that just right challenge we all need to feel a little level of you know success or completion or that we're reaching it and that's why you know even swim skills or being in the water needs to be pitched to that right level you know you're not going to be teaching a child who's just been introduced into the water to dive you know into the water it's that lovely slow progression as well around exposure and that it's play it's learning moments you know that it doesn't have to be about skill acquisition the whole time it can just be about being present being there being in a different environment and just enjoying it from a play perspective I love I love play swim play I think it's how we all learn as well isn't it even adults as well definitely Absolutely. I feel like I spent so many summers, um, particularly with my brother, because we were quite close in age. Like just when we go on holidays in the water, you'd be in the ocean for hours just playing different games and, you know, jumping under the water and moving your body in different ways and, you know, getting a ball and playing that. And there's so many opportunities. That's the lovely thing about it. Okay. So a question for you then. Is it because we are becoming more aware of sensory and our needs or our children struggling a little bit because maybe there's an increase in screens decrease of play what's your thoughts are you, are you seeing more challenges yeah you see it's really hard isn't it to know like exactly I suppose like the research looking at it would need to look at comparing but I definitely see an increase in kind of the sensory needs of children especially when I'm going to school visits I suppose I'm seeing it more so because you're seeing a group a cohort of infants together um a lot more vestibular and proprioceptive seeking in the classroom. And what I mean by that is movement on the go, um, you know, seeking those opportunities to uh, change up their position, to inform their body posture. Um, and that can ultimately have an impact as well on listening and distractibility as well. So I suppose what we're kind of seeing a lot more of is kids that need more movement and are finding it harder to listen and and, and are more distracted in the school environment um, and I suppose you do have to kind of question like what are the changes environmentally that are happening and a lot of it is I suppose you know maybe 
there isn't enough open kind of play spaces and areas. Um, maybe parents don't feel like they're safe enough. Um, but also there is a shift towards a lot of sedentary play because screens and gaming and YouTube is so motivating, um, particularly for children who maybe don't really enjoy a lot of sports or aren't as inclined to want to engage in motor skill based tasks, which are normally the children who really need to engage yeah. in them. And so we need to really look at that balance. And I'm not saying to parents like there's no screen time, you know, that's down to the parents choice in terms of how much their child should be accessing it and when it's needed, because sometimes it is essential for parents if, you know, they're busy and, you know, it's a busy household. However, they have to look at it from a balanced perspective. There needs to be a balance in the types of play that children are engaging in. And exercise, in my perspective, when we look at balance, is actually under more of a self-care need. Um, I just feel like from a day-to-day -day perspective, it shouldn't always fall under leisure or hobbies. It actually comes under a need. And whether that's walking the dog or going out for a walk or doing some kind of exercise, but children do need to move their bodies. They can't have all just stimulating brain-based you know, play in terms of auditory and visual, they need to use their bodies to actually regulate that. And that'll help with their sleep and their feeding and their ability to regulate their emotions as well. And that means actually using their body to bounce and jump and slide and swing and, you know, carry things and, you know, exercise their upper limbs and lower limbs. And it's a conscious effort that parents need to make as well is to actually say, we'll all put away, you know, screens. And I know how hard that is. Like I do a lot of my work as well, even on my phone, you know, and but you do have to make a conscious effort that this is how you know, I want to create balance at home and I need to make sure that I'm modeling that. Like you can't put an expectation on a teenager that there's no phones on the table if you're sitting on your phone. So I think, you know, you do need to model it and you need to make sure that everybody's on the same page about, you know, how you're going to do this together as a family. Wow, there's so much advice there. I, I said about 10 years ago, the world's changing the way we move, play and talk to each other. And I just didn't really have the whole concept of how much our world has changed but we're seeing a lot of changes in the pool with our children and as just as you said a lot of focus attention uh, a lot of seeking uh, behaviors whether they are jumping up and down in the water or, or the opposite actually going under the water to seek that really quiet time as well um, a lot of fidgets um, so sometimes the children have got a bit of a strategy they've got maybe a fidget spinner that they like to bring into the pool so it's great now I think there's more awareness that the, the children have their own tools that they can access and for us to find out what works for that individual child and then can we bring it into the water because there's so many things is dry land but we can actually bring in the water to help and support as well Great. So let's finish on because something really yummy and your background is baby massage, nurture, uh, a positive touch and reinforcement. And I think it's so nice from a parent point of view as well. I mean, you've got your, your little one. It's so important, isn't it? The sensory needs of belonging, being together, nurturing, responding. Um, and sometimes we underestimate, don't we, the importance of, of positive nurturing touch. Oh, absolutely. And like, I think, like you said, since I became a mom, you really understand it. And I suppose the tactile system is directly linked with emotional well-being, our emotional state. It's so important. And I do think the shift 
for teachers was challenging when I talked to them as well around, you know, they find the infant years are still seeking a lot of that tactile reassurance from teachers and they feel like, you know, they can't engage in that. Obviously, they have to make sure that there is some kind of, you know, rules and boundaries and expectations. And so I do feel like kids are seeking that from each other, you know, wanting to hug and wanting to get that feedback. But from a, a caregiver perspective is that I always say like time spent, you know, cuddling or playing is never time wasted. And I think sometimes we're so obsessed with this productivity and moving on to the next thing and let's play with this and let's do that. And let's go here and actually just being present and having a cuddle, doing some massage together, co-regulating through physical presence and through touch, whether it's in the bath or, you know, it's rocking and singing together is just so powerful and such a powerful regulator not only for I found uh, me as a first-time mom but for my baby as well but it had definitely an impact on both of our nervous system and being present and trying to kind of release and not think too much around I should be doing this I always say to parents remove should you know and and actually just be really present and realize that this bit of massage this cuddle, this moment, this tactile reassurance is going to be so helpful and important, not only in this moment, but for the rest of the day or for, you know, the next hour or two. And I think um, that's why some parents will say, oh, our cuddle time in the car before they go into school is so important. Or our cuddle time in the evening uh, for story time is so important for sleep. And that's why, you know, children need to have they need to feel safe to be able to fall asleep um, and tactile creates that and allows for that. And I think it's just such a important part of attachment and bonding in general. Definitely. And I really felt that even more so um, when I was really deprived in COVID times, it really just hit home. And I think it has has real impact on, on our children, as you say, everybody's, you know, seeking a little bit more in our world. We need to belong as humans, don't we? We seek social time. So. Yeah. And I think for parents as well is, you know, sometimes there can be a lot of pressure, like Mm -hmm. you're doing it the wrong way or you're doing it the right way, or, you know, you're holding them too much or they're doing too many contact naps or they're in the sling. And honestly, I just think at the end of the day, you are the expert on your child. If you are putting them first and putting their needs first, you often intuitively know sometimes when your child needs a little bit more or one sensory system or a little bit less. And that's why I think prescriptions and you know you know helpful tips are great but you know they are general and so at the end of the day it's to be very present with your child and remember that your you know nervous system their nervous system are very different and so to have that goodness of fit rather than thinking oh I should be doing this with them is actually to be present and think this is looking like they need more of this they need more of me they need more cuddles today or you know um we that my baby needs more movement or my child needs more rocking that they're, you know, that's all you're doing is you're co-regulating in that moment. Um, you're responding to that. And that might shift and change. They may not need that intensity, but I think it's hard on parents, you know, that if they feel, you know, I, I shouldn't do that, even though they mm. know it benefits their child's, you know, sensory needs. And I think that's a really important thing for parents is to remember that, is that, you know, we all need that co-regulation. And sometimes that means stepping in and meeting nervous system needs, which may be more intensive than you thought they would need um but it can be really important yeah love that parent intuition that is perfect um where can we find more about your work because there's so much golden um information here and as you say you know information is definitely uh, and knowledge is an investment so i'd love to signpost everybody to your amazing work 
Thanks, Joe. So um, I for my two different companies, so for anyone looking for kind of online courses, including any teachers. So I also do a CPD series. Um, so it's one cost for a school and all of their staff get access. And I do monthly webinars and it's very regulatory approach, shifting away from some of those compliance approaches, talking about sensory motor development, sensory. And so all of that you can find on my website, myotandme.com. And then if you are a parent or you're a school that would like to get access to OT and SLT, Gabadoo is my other company. So you can go out to gabadoo.com. So at the moment we're running that in Ireland, but we are looking at doing it um, in the UK as well. We have some lots of therapists as part of that. So if you're interested, do get in contact. So I'm also on Instagram, so my OTME or a Gabadoo platform. So you'll find me there and I'll often answer questions or you know pop a question box up. So if there's anything you'd like to get back to me or comments that would be great oh amazing I'll put all your links below I'm sure there's lots of people that will uh, get in touch well congratulations again lots of love being a mummy and an amazing uh, supporter of all things child development and sensory thank you so much Jill. Thank you for listening to the Aqua Sensory Way. It's so nice to have you here tuning in today. Let's connect again soon. I'd love you to find out more about creating sensory harmony in water. Come and join us on our socials and in our community Facebook group, Aqua Sensory Connections.